0: Today is June 1st, 2020. If you've turned on your TV, your radio, or entered into any type of social media platform, you might be well aware of what's happening. Protests are happening in most American cities across the nation, sparked by the murder of George Floyd, a black man killed by the actions of a white police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, on May 25th, 2020, seven days ago. This episode, we hear stories about protests and what's happening in this pivotal moment in history here on Behind Every Story. Before we begin, a note of warning. The topics we explore on this show may not be considered suitable for all listeners. This podcast deals with real people and real stories these stories may contain and deal with graphic language adult themes sexual content or violence listener discretion is advised this episode is going to veer off from our regular style of show however i think it's even more important with the topic at hand that we're talking about today today on behind every story We put the ongoing series of the COVID-50 on pause to discuss history literally forming all around us. People are protesting in the streets to be heard. Some government bodies are taking a stance against the protesters while others are listening and hearing what they're trying to say and siding with them. Looters and people taking advantage of the moment. People at home scared. People on the street scared. There's a lot happening right now. And these stories need to be told. They need to be talked about, and the conversations need to happen. Now more than ever. Having an engagement like this, at least in my opinion, has been building for a long time. And with being on the whole social distancing lockdown the last few months, the proverbial gunpowder keg was spilling more and more into the tinder just waiting for a spark. People are on edge. Almost everyone is. The now-old COVID slang of we're all in this together is true on multiple levels. People are on edge and scared. Emotions are raw, and opinions are being discussed or sometimes yelled and tweeted rampantly. Cooper, a black man who was birdwatching in New York Central Park, had the cops call him on him by Amy Cooper, no relation, a white woman who looks to be strangling her dog in the online cell phone footage. Many people stood up and criticized the incident, and emotions were running raw.
1: I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life.
2: Please tell them whatever you like.
1: Right, I'm in the ramble. There is an African American man. I am in second heart. He is recording me, and threatening myself and my dog and my. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Know, I'm being threatened by a man in the room. Amy Cooper, the woman seen here, calling the cops and a black man who had asked her to leash her dog, which was required by law, is now being investigated by the New York City Commission on Human Rights. She's also been see, uh, receiving death threats. And now the man who filmed the encounter, named Christian Cooper, who is a Harvard graduate and a Marvel comic book writer, no relation to her, had this to say about it on CNN.
3: I think her her apology is sincere. I'm not sure if in that apology, she recognizes that while she may not be or consider herself a racist, that particular act was definitely racist.
4: And some of the messaging I am told has been death threat. And that is wholly inappropriate and abhorrent and should stop
3: immediately.
0: But it was George Floyd's run in with the police in Minneapolis, Minnesota when they had him in custody and on the ground with a knee pressed against his throat. And he gasped and pleaded that he could not breathe. That lit the fire.
4: That's My stomach hurts. Uh-huh. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. Please. Ah. Please. Please, I can't breathe. Please, man. Please. Man. Well, you got it down, man. Let me <laughs>
0: Prosecutors say Officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, including two minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd had become unresponsive. This audio is courtesy of CNN. We've heard from our president in some shocking words today, both out loud at his press conference and on his Twitter page concerning the moment.
4: My fellow Americans, my first and highest duty It is to defend our great country and the American people, but in recent days, our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists, violent mobs, arsonists, looters, criminals, rioters, Antifa, and others. A number of state and local governments have failed to take necessary action to safeguard their residents.
1: President Trump today called George Floyd's death a, quote, grave tragedy. At the same time, he issued new warnings for authorities to crack down on protesters. We will end it
4: now. Today, I have strongly recommended to every governor to deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers that we dominate the streets. Mayors and governors must establish an overwhelming law enforcement presence until the violence has been quelled. If a city or state refuses to take the actions that are necessary to defend the life and property of their residents, then I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the
1: problem for them. Earlier on Twitter, the president suggested the protesters were professionally managed and denied he was stoking more confrontation when he inquired, tonight I understand is MAGA night at the White House?
4: I have no idea if they're going to be here, I was just asking. By the way, they love African-American people, they love black people. MAGA
1: LOVES BLACK PEOPLE. After clashes with Secret Service overnight, the president wrote, I was inside, watched every move, and couldn't have felt more safe. Then added, nobody came close to breaching the fence. If they had, they would have been greeted with the most vicious dogs and most ominous weapons I have ever seen. To make a reference to vicious dogs is no subtle um, reminder to African-Americans of segregationists who let dogs out on women children and innocent people uh in the south it follows another racially charged tweet from the president friday when the looting starts the shooting starts the phrase was originally coined in 1967 by a miami police chief known for aggressive policing tactics in black communities
4: i don't know where it came from where it originated this audio
0: is courtesy of cbs and i apologize for the audio in this next clip i was recording it on my phone standing next to the tv just seconds ago where illinois governor uh jb pritzker takes a stance against trump's words and actions well first of all i reject that the federal government can send troops into the state of illinois Uh, the fact is that uh, the president has created an incendiary
2: moment here Uh, he wants to change the subject uh, from his failure over coronavirus a miserable failure and now seeing a moment when there is unrest because of the injustice that was done to George Floyd,
0: that he now wants to create another topic and something where he can be the law and order president. Uh, he's been a miserable failure. I, you know, What I talked about on the call today was the fact that his rhetoric is inflaming passions around the nation. He should be calling for calm. He should be calling for
2: bringing the temperature down. He's doing the exact opposite.
0: We heard the sound of George Floyd's brother as he spoke out to the crowds today.
2: I understand y'all upset, but like it was already said, I doubt y'all half as upset as I am. So if I'm not over here wilding out, if I'm not over here blowing up stuff, if I'm not over here messing up my community, then what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? Y'all doing nothing! Because that's not going to bring my brother back at all. My family is a peaceful family. My family is God-fearing. Encouraging people to make their voice matter and vote. Not just vote for the president, vote for the preliminaries. Vote for everybody. (laughs) Educate yourself. It's It's a lot of us. And we still going to do this peacefully. Peace on the, on the left. And we
0: heard the sounds and stories of protests echo in the streets themselves. I can't
5: breathe. I can't 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 breathe. There's a military-type helicopter breathe. overhead with something below it. Uh, people are obviously watching it. Might
4: dispense some water or something. Really. And now you
5: know? people are running. And...
4: Look out, be we're safe, get, be safe.
5: safe.
2: It's a massive peaceful protest. The state capital, which lasted several hours and had several thousand people in attendance. But the tension has been raised here in Minneapolis within the past hour because we're about a quarter mile from the I-35 West Interstate Bridge, where there had been a massive protest gathered. And about an hour ago, Lester, a truck driver drove into the crowd Scattering thousands of people. But they ran up against
5: police, and police refused to let them move any further. Uh, just in the past few minutes, we've had uh, tear gas and flashbangs deployed on the crowd, uh, plenty of projectiles back and forth. And at times, it touches off a stampede of protesters. They come running to, to, to get
2: away from that. Moving their march this direction, falling in with this crowd of at least several hundred people. The largest public safety operation in Minnesota's history. Local and state police and 4,000 members of the National Guard took a stand. Aggressively using tear gas, pepper spray, and
1: drawn weapons in a desperate attempt to squelch days of escalating chaos.
0: These audio clips were courtesy of BBC, NBC Minneapolis, and ABC Los Angeles. I reached out to everyone I could today to try and get some interaction with the people engaged in these protests in some shape or form. I reached out and I called local police stations in Elgin, Illinois, Aurora, Illinois, and Chicago. Unfortunately, I have not heard back from any of them. And to be honest, I understand why they're not taking any interviews at the moment, especially from a podcast. <laughs> um, but I really... Wanted to have a voice of the police in this episode. However, for the time being, ABC Los Angeles had a brief interview with their chief of police, Michael Moore.
5: We're, we're uh, doing everything we can to facilitate this, uh, you know, this this outrage, uh,
0: many many feelings that law enforcement shares uh, with, with many that we're listening to and hearing and trying to to give a voice to. And it, I'm just deeply troubled that in the mix of that is. Uh, a mixture of those that I think that are capitalizing on this energy and on this this passion and, and for their own illicit, you know, for their own illicit purposes, for their own corrupt pers- purposes, and I think there's others that have, uh, in their frustration and their anger at us uh, and at society, uh, are resorting to violence and resorting to this destruction. I also very much wanted to have a voice of color on here, but sadly, I couldn't get anyone in time. However, I am extremely interested in hearing. From color and African Americans specifically. I would love to discuss your feelings and your thoughts. Please contact me at behindeverystory at gmail.com for a future episode. This goes for the police as well, as I think it's valuable and a strong source for opinions and thoughts. I'd love to hear both sides and your stories, because really, it's all one story combined. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will hear from our guests. Today's episode, we are joined by Matthew, who participated in the protest this weekend, Daniel, a photographer who went out and documented the most beautiful and haunting images I've seen yet from the aftermath, and John, who has a different kind of story about protests. Stick around. We'll be right back. Our first guest today is Matthew, a peaceful protester who took part in the protest this weekend in Evanston, Illinois.
6: Hello, my name is Matthew, and I'm a library graduate student from the northwest side of Chicago.
0: Matthew, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. So, uh, without knowing too much about your story, I want to dive right in you were one of the protesters, right?
6: Yes. I attended the, uh, Evanston fight for black lives, uh, protest, um, on Sunday afternoon, um, in Evanston, Illinois.
0: So what made you want to go out and protest?
6: Um, it's a real, it's a big combination of factors. Um, this is not my first protest. I've been, been to many protests before i had been to the, um, been to the inauguration day protest for Trump. I've been to the um travel ban shutdown uh at O'Hare Airport. Um I'd been in protests both, you know, before and after the election. So I, I'm relatively frequent frequent uh protester. But for this specific incident, I think it was just seeing the like utter disregard for human life um in that mm. video that we all watched. Um and just kind of the casualness casualness of of the taking of a life um to see the um officer uh chauvin put his hand in his pocket while he was like choking the life out of this man which is kind of particularly gruesome for me and you know and, and in addition to that scene, the police escalate so many of these protests across the country over and over again into violence and just years and years and years of of seeing these things um Really, really, kind of brought me out on the street. I think a combination of all of those factors.
0: Was there a moment, a certain uh, specific aspect that made you just say, "No, I'm standing up. I'm going right now." What What was that driving catalyst?
6: My girl. So my the reason it was in Evanston. So my girlfriend um, is a graduate student at Northwestern, and so she, with the quarantine and all, um, I've been staying with her in Evanston, and we were watch. We were listening to. Watching the um, unrest uh, happen in Minneapolis, and she's actually so she went to the University of Minnesota for undergrad. The neighborhood um, where George Floyd was killed and where the initial unrest um, took place, she had visited multiple times. Um, She actually knew, um, or had been to one of the restaurant, like local restaurants um, that had been um, that had been vandalized, and her. I think I think it was actually it was the owner of the restaurant. Um, Do you remember the name now? That uh, put out a statement um, saying that like the owner, even though they were upset about their their business, were were completely behind the protests and didn't um, necessarily care about the restaurant being burned down. Um, she'd actually been to that restaurant um, as like a patron before, and so and and so she saw this this kind of statement. And she just started crying over it and I, I think we both were just kind of th- th- it It kind of hit per- like the fact that this was happening in an area that was like kind of so personal to her mm-hmm. um i think we both decided in that moment that if there was any sort of action we had to go to it even with I and mean, we've both been like very cautious with with covid break um 19 outbreak um i'm actually we're, but we're both self quarantine 14 days after this protest because we really didn't <laughs> for a long time we were like well we, we want to go but like it doesn't really seem safe to be out now and just in that moment, where we, where we were kind of discussing that restaurant, um, it kind of we, we realized that we had to go.
0: For the quarantine aspects, uh, are are people wearing masks when they're out on the street?
6: Yeah. So I was. It was when we were there. I, I felt way safer than I thought I would because people. I, I, it was almost universal mask wearing. Um, I saw maybe a few people not wearing masks, and they were mainly children. Um, not wearing masks, as far as adults, I saw – I honestly can't even remember seeing anybody without a mask. Katie says she saw some more people without masks, but I couldn't remember seeing that many. Um, And as far as social distancing goes, like people were – um, if they were bunched together, they tended to be like people that you could tell like they were living in the same house. Like they looked mm-hmm. like families. They looked like they, they knew each other, and people were very conscious about like – spreading out making sure people were away now once we got to um Evanston Township high School which for people who don't know is like that, that's like the main high school um in Evanston um kind of near like the central part of the suburb um then it got a little more cramped uh, a little more like it looked a little more like a concert where people kind of were, were getting in close together but it wasn't like, you know, a, a music festival or a concert where it's like there's when you're moving, you're kind of having to elbow your way out of a crowd. There was a lot of space, um, and which which shocking because it was, it was both people were social distancing, but at the same time, you could tell there were like thousands of people there, which is very rare for a protest um, in Evanston, um, much less outside the city of Chicago. Um, so, as as far at least from like social distancing, it was a, it was about as good as a mass gathering could be. I would say.
0: So you mentioned that you did other protests before. You mentioned uh, the Trump campaign. I'm sorry.
6: Yeah, what so was- I, I, w- I was at the um, – I've been to – so it was the – right after Trump was elected in, Nove- in November. Yes. I've been um, to the – when the travel ban was announced and, and people went to O'Hare Airport mm-hmm, when they were detaining mm-hmm. people, I went to that. I went to the um, family separation protests. Um, when that happened as well. Um, So I've been to several of the kind of main Trump era um, actions.
0: So when you're going to these protests, what is the driving force that's compelling you to be a part of this?
6: Um, Moral disgust, Mm. I would say, is the main factor that, that brings me out. It's just a real, like, this is so deeply wrong and I can't justify it to myself to not put my body in the street in some way you know like i don't want to be the type of person who sees something happen that's just so so disgusting and so just like morally reprehensible mm-hmm. that i uh, you know it's only, it's only a sense of guilt like i can't i can't look away from it i guess that's what really kind of drives me to go out um, in a lot of these circumstances
0: what is the goal of being out in a protest
6: i so uh, this different for like lots of people, obviously, um, and I think for people, um, just again I can come on and say like I, I do not have the same kind of personal attachment to these issues uh, as as say like a black person would, for example, mm. um, or I, I, do, I don't have like the kind of like I don't feel it in my bones in the same way because I can't, you know, I don't have that kind of access to the issue. Um, so for me, the kind of goal is to kind of one just to put myself in a group of other people to kind of show
0: mm-hmm. to the world
6: that people <laughs> that were tired of it you know that we're tired of whatever the issue is whether it in this case it, it's police killings um, of black people in this country or whether it's you know um, separating people at the border. Um, separating migrants at the border from their parents, um, whatever the kind of issue may be. Just just showing that there's a – to showcase that there's a constituency of people who find this behavior unacceptable and are willing um, to show it by their presence in the street. Um, if that's an eloquent way of putting it, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> okay,
0: So can you walk us through uh, the day? Can you walk us through like from when you left your, your home – to go on to the protest until you got got back that night. Yeah, so we
6: um, we're at we're at uh, my girlfriend's apartment in Evanston, and we just kind of you know threw on some sunscreen, uh, put our masks on, made sure to wash our hands, um, and just kind of walked walked out. Um, and it was, it, it was meeting at Church and Ridge, which is like just west of downtown. For those who don't know Evanston, um, and at first I thought I was a little worried that like. So the march was supposed to start at one we We're running a little late. Um, so we we're going to get there around like one forty-five. And I thought – because the march, they're walking to Evanston Township. I thought, man, like I don't – I hope we're not late and that they, the, the people already left. I thought because it was Evanston and not like the city of Chicago that there, there wouldn't be a, like a huge turnout. It would be kind of a more of a muted turnout. Um, I thought we'd miss the march. Um, and I got there, and I was just shocked to see like – I mean I'm presuming that – the beginning of the march had left like 15 minutes earlier, and we got there, and the march was still. People were still leaving from the main area. It was so big. So I get we get into the march, we start walking, and I'm just kind of in total shock at how big it is because I, I I really did not expect that that huge, big of a turnout in Evanston. Um, and you know we're kind of I'm kind of walking through the march, and I'm watching people, and I kind of I'm taking account of like you know. Who's here? Like, you know, what are the demographics, people who are here? What's, and I I, I, I like to kind of observe and try to, like, um, pay attention to my surroundings as much as possible and approach. Right. Um, yeah. Because I, I want to get a sense of, like, whether it's effective. What, what is this protest saying? What am I a part of at the moment? Um, all of that. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm doing that and we're walking down and we get to a point, I think on Dempster Street, where there's, it's a, where the street kind of slopes down a little bit so you can kind of see a little further down the street than you, you normally would. And I just saw... I didn't see where the crowd ended. It, it, it just kept going down Dempster. And I think wow. that's the moment that I knew... Like, okay, I'm. this is a march in Evanston, Illinois, that, as far as I know, was not covered in um, the Chicago media um, that extensively... I've, I actually haven't seen a single news uh, story about it yet. Um... And, 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 the, you know, and there's thousands of people here in, in this small suburb, and if, if, the, if this many people are showing up in Evanston, just imagine how many people are showing up in like large cities and small cities all over the country at once. It really – I think it really then hit home for me that this is like a qualitatively different moment than other protests I've been to, which have also tended to be – like all the protests I mentioned before in the Trump era have been kind of part of national Protests like the travel ban protests that happened in O'Hare, but that also happened across the country. The um, the election day protests that happened in Chicago, but it also happened um, across the country. The border separation, uh, the family separation protests, mm-hmm. happened in Chicago, is happening around the country. So I, I I knew it was part of a larger movement, but just seeing for some reason like all of those happening in downtown Chicago, it's like yeah, there's always going to be protests here. Like that's just how it works. Seeing a protest of this size in Evanston, though, really kind of I'll say I, I I've never had the experience before of just feeling like this is like I I'm trying to figure out, find the like the word to describe it like it was the only time that it felt like you've been part of like a mass movement as opposed to like a mass action you know like there's something um destabilizing about it almost like like the. the so the whole point of protest, I think, in a lot of ways, is kind of to disrupt the status status quo mm-hmm. and make the status quo untenable, so that something um, better emerges out of it. Other protests I've I've been to, I haven't had quite had that feeling. It it felt more like an expression of of anger, but not necessarily something that was going to like change the next day. Um, the closest, besides. Besides this has, was the travel ban protest, now it's because like, there were actually people there who these protests were like helping to get out of detention. Um, this – it feels like we're at a, like a political watershed moment for just like the history of American democracy, and these protests are like a catalyst for that. And that's what I felt being there. So
0: speaking of which – sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what do you see happening next because of this?
6: Boy, um, I've been thinking about that all day. So I tend to be pessimist. Um, I think that's the curse of being like a history major. Is that you tend? <laughs> is that you, you, te- you tend to not? Um, I think there's the you know the Martin Luther King Jr. quote, like you know the, the the long arc of the the. I think it's like I'm misquoting it here, but like the the arc of history is like long, but it bends towards justice. And my personal feeling is that. Long, the arc of history is long, and it bends in many different directions, and I personally think that this will be – what, what what's happening now with the way the police have just been completely out of control with their um, crackdown on peaceful, peaceful, peaceful protesters and journalists mm-hmm. in broad daylight um, alongside – what I consider to be like fascistic rhetoric coming from the president about kind of cracking down on domestic terrorists. Um, I think this is going to be a time when our democracy is severely weakened um, by the reactions to this protest from the authorities. I think that this will lead to a state crackdown on – Protesters and, and and social movements coming from the left, and I think it's going to overall lead to a weakening of our democratic institutions. I, that's, I think it's not because of the protests. I think that's more because of um, lots of long-standing factors in, in in you know American society and and you know the makeup of the current government. But I just I see this being something similar to what happened in. China with Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not as violent this time around. You know, maybe, maybe they won't get down into the streets and shoot protesters. But I think we're getting pretty close to a day when that happens. And so, I, I'm personally not very optimistic about the prospects for American democracy and the prospects for um, what this, what this day of action will lead to. Um, I certainly hope to be proven wrong. And there's a, and you know, that's part. Partly why I went out into the street was like hoping that, you know, this this movement will lead to something else. But I mean it just it looks very, very dark to me personally.
0: So speaking of the authorities, did you have any run ins with any authorities?
6: Yeah, so that's the, the wild thing about the Evanston protests is that I saw basically no cops until we got to the the protest we we're, go, were going down Dempster and I were turning I want to say was it dodge i, I forget the street it, it, we're turning right towards um the high school that's the first time i saw a police officer and they were basically like directing traffic and directing like the protests to go towards the mm-hmm. school there's very little police presence um and then when we got to the school there's a little more police presence but it was very there wasn't right yet. it was very it was very non-confrontational non-aggressive which i think i mean that speaks just Evanson is, is a wealthy community. Um, it's a predominantly white community. I think that it, you know the police were never going to um, react that way to, to the crowd. Um, and I think it also just shows you how much of the kind of, you know, quote-unquote unrest we're seeing is driven by aggressive police actions that, that like then um, motivate a backlash. And then you just kind of see like a cycle of violence. Um, that wasn't there. The police were – we're not, you know, there we didn't have all this aggressive police presence that, that the president is now saying that we need and and the um and the protest went off fine um which again i think that speaks to the privilege of Evanston, but it also speaks to how um the police in these situations tend to um escalate rather than um serve than service peacekeepers
0: mhm do you think by the police not coming in riot gear do you think that's kind of sent a a visual message that it was going to be a calmer event or yeah do you- no
6: yeah i think i think i mean wh- when people show up in like riot gear and have batons like i think it it invites conf- confrontation and i think um you know so i, I, I and and also sort like the whole point of the rally is to protest police brutality and police mm-hmm. killings, and so when you see th- w- when you're having that that sort of demonstration, and then there are police there who look like they're ready to like crack your head open, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and then are actively um, then are then doing brutal acts to you, just like tear gassing you or um, you know uh, tasing you. Uh, yeah, I mean that 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 I think that inevitably invites confrontation. So I, I think the police. Um, the the Evanson police not being confrontational is partly why it was an incredibly peaceful protest.
0: Did you run into any looters or rioters that were no. causing damage? No.
6: None of that. At at all. At all. No. Nothing nothing like that at all. I didn't see anything like that. Um I didn't I read something in the news that there may have been some like light um vandalism at like the Best Buy on like the Chicago Evanson border on Howard but like that's it. I I didn't see a single. There wasn't a single violent incident where I was.
0: So like you said, this is a protest. This is a a calling out the actions of police authority. Um, why is this all happening now?
6: Well, I, again, I I'm not you know, just I'm not an expert in all this. This is just my kind of personal mm. read on what um, you know. I read in the news and what I'm seeing. I think it's. In a way, I was surprised something like this hadn't happened before. I mean, look, we're in the middle of not only like a, a global pandemic, but like a global economic depression. A third of the country's out of work. The welfare state in this country is paltry. And so when you just combine that it, you know, with like widening economic inequality mm-hmm. and unchanging police killings of – of african-americans you know that that's and then you have a president who is you know doing his best um you know mussolini cosplay on the news every night um i just i think all that combined is like a powder keg waiting to explode and i think especially you know when black lives black lives matter kind of got off the ground with with ferguson There's a huge push towards like you know body cameras. We're gonna do police reform. We're gonna do this, and it's all failed. All of these attempts at police reform, you know, not not just like going back to 2014, going back to after um, the LA riots in '92, going back to um, Watts in '65, or 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 the King riots in '68. um, You know, just reform like the institution is. Has not been reformed, and I and I think in a way it's sort of unreformable. And the more, and more, you know, it, it, the kind of buildup of the years and years of like disappointments and anger and frustration, and then you see a killing that is so shocking and so heinous that I saw a poll that something like less than five percent of the country thinks that that officer shouldn't have been charged. I mean, it's so there's such unanim, unanimity in the response to this because the killing is so brutal that I think it just served as like the perfect spark for like this sort of, for what we're seeing now.
0: You just said that you don't see a reformity to this. How do you see this coming through in a positive way? What would you like to see happen?
6: You know, in a way I'm like the wrong person to ask ask this question because I, I so I'm of the belief that kind of more um, radical action when it comes to the police is needed for this to happen. I think the, the institution of policing as it um, as it exists now um, is sort of unreformable, needs to be dismantled, and I think it needs to be replaced by like a, a variety. I'm kind of a, a police abolitionist in that in that sense. I, I think that um, you know you could do a thing where I, like the real question to me isn't like can the, do the police need reform or all this, it's like, we need to get rid of the police. What's, do we replace it with? Um, You know, like, but for me, it's like combination of like, you know, you do social workers and mental health professionals. Um, You do like, you know, traffic enforcement of like, uh, our camera are using cameras to do like, you know, traffic enforcement, you know, maybe a very limited um, force dealing with like murders, uh, rapes and assaults. Um, And that's like, Probably more conservative view compared to like some, um, with some police abolitionists, um, call for. But that's that's kind of the only way I see out of this, like permanently. Um, as far as like a good action I'd like to see in the short term, I think you really need to like start looking at defunding these police departments across the country. I think if you look at, I mean here in Chicago, I think it's something like half the city's operating budget goes to um, the police, and I'm not even sure that counts like the the police misconduct settlement money that we have to send every year um to cpd um and and i think something it's like less than 20 percent goes like community services and i i think there needs to be a radical um change of priorities when it comes to municipal budgets uh, shifting away from the police and towards um you know towards community services towards um job programs towards relief um some of the kind of most um poverty communities um I, i think the real like the institution i think and, and defunding is something that can both happen in the short term, and help serve the long term goal of of. So there's a great uh, you've heard of Grover Norquist. He's this uh, um, anti he's like a, a really radical tea partyer, and his um, goal when it comes to government overall is that he wants to shrink government so that it's small enough to drown in the bathtub. Ah, and, and, yes. that, and that's how I feel about the police department. I think you you need to shrink it small enough so that you can drown it in a bathtub and replace it with something else. And so I think defunding the police is certainly like one of the kind of near-term goals uh, I'm hoping for. Um, but I don't think this, this is not going to go away with body cameras, not going to go away with better training, not going to go away with better officers. I think the the institution breeds a sort of disrespect for human life that you're seeing play out in the streets of America today. And so I, I think reform, reforms that lead to the eventual Abolition of police departments as they currently stand is what I would go for. So you got me going on a rant, but that's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, we absolutely love rants here. Um, Good. <laughs> we, we we are known to go overtime every time. Okay. <laughs> um, so you you are already out there, but are you planning to go back out and do more protesting?
6: Um, I don't know. I mean, I so again because it's happening in the middle middle of a pandemic i'm very wary about like having gone Mm -hmm. to this protest and then going to another protest um and possibly acting as a vector for the disease Mm -hmm. um so i'm again like i said at beginning this i'm 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 trying to kind of quarantine for 14 days recommended um but i think that it depends on how this this goes so if this keeps going i feel like there's an escalation coming especially with the president's actions and this might like we might not even be at the beginning of this. Um, like it, it might, it might, it, it might become something where like you almost have to get out in the street to like protect um, what's left of our democracy. And if, and, if, and, if, and if I have a sense that like we're getting to that point, I might go back out into the street um, sooner. Um, but at least for the next two weeks, I'm not planning on it. And if there's still something going on in two weeks, um, I would, I would go out.
0: So what can people do?
6: I think what people are doing already. I think I think you know, getting. I, I think that business as usual is killing the country and it's killing the planet at the moment. And I think the more people can make business as usual impossible, the the more rapidly change will happen. And I so hmm. I, I I think that um, just get into the street every day and make it that so that they, this cannot be ignored. That they're either going to have to clear us violently. … from the streets, or they're going to have to change the status quo somewhat. Um, I think that um, is a good thing that like ordinary people can do. I think obviously like um, donating to bail funds for protesters, um, donating to um, local community organizations that are doing things like um, food banks, doing things like neighborhood cleanups… Um, I think and I, I think just pay attention to what's going on locally. I mean that that's, the stuff that's happening in your neighborhood and your city is the thing that you have the most control over. And so I think looking in your community and finding the things that um, that appeal to you that, that that you think make like a positive difference um, is kind of the most we can do uh, as individuals but I, I think I think that made bo- making the status quo untenable in whatever way you can, is the quickest path out for us, honestly.
0: So if people are gonna take away one thing from your cornucopia of knowledge, <laughs> um, what what what's the one thing that you want them to take away and to chew on and to sit and like really digest?
6: Ooh, that's a good question. Mike, <laughs> I would say this. I, I think we we've come to people talk about in how often about what they would have done, you know, during like the rise of nazism or what they would have done during american slavery or what they would have done in all of these past moments and and there's a great um this great great quote um that's out there somewhere i, I cannot remember who said it i think it, it was um it was an a prison abolitionist activist um who said that whatever you're doing right now is what you would be doing during these great historical moments in the past. Like whatever you're doing right now, you'd probably be doing essentially the same thing in the past. And so I want people to look at themselves and what they're doing and rem- and then think back to all those times in history, you know, where we where we've honored the people who've sacrificed everything. Um and said, you know, we we'd hope we'd do something similar and and whatever you're doing right now is probably what you would have been doing in that kind of great historical moment. And ask yourself the question, are you happy with what you're doing? And are you – is this the person you want to be? And if not, what can I do to become that person would probably be the thing. And I, I struggle with this myself too. But I, I would say that's the, that's the question I want people to ask themselves coming from my perspective.
0: I believe that's a lot to chew on and I hope you guys all take that to heart. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us.
6: Absolutely. Happy to talk.
0: Our next guest is John. John had a personal experience of another kind years ago dealing with a protest.
5: Uh, My name is John, I'm from Naperville, Illinois, and uh, I guess I'm going to tell a story about how me and my family accidentally stumbled into a protest in China in 2012. I guess to kind of set the scene, um, my brother uh, had met his, um, his future wife at college. They were both medical students, and she was from Nanjing, China. And uh, they wanted to have the wedding over in China, and uh, they invited um, some of my family. Uh, I was able to go. My mom and dad were able to go. Um, and I had, uh, my, an aunt and uncle who were very close to my brother. And so we flew over to the wedding and at the time, um, the, I got the Wikipedia article open so I could get it right. The Senkaku islands were being disputed between Japan and China cause Japan had like bought them. And then Chinese nationalists said, well, no, those are our, our islands. And like, if you look at them, they're like just these tiny little rocks, you know. Um, but I think like the, the Chinese like sent army guys over there to start like bulldozing and building like an airstrip or something as a way of saying these are ours, whether you want it or not. Um, and anti-Japanese protests were going on in China. So it was the day before my brother's wedding, and uh, he and my sister in law, you know, well, now she's my sister in law, they had to get ready and make sure the caterers, everything was fine. So they told me, my parents, my aunt, and uncle, hey, you know, you guys just go and explore the city of Nanjing yourselves. And I really wanted to go see the memorial hall of the victims of the Nanjing massacre um from uh, from world war ii and it's a very very powerful um uh memorial um and it it's it's funny um because at the end of the memorial there's this giant serene pond and a statue um that you actually find uh is funded by uh people from japan um as a way of saying like oh you know we never want this to happen this kind of animosity between our countries again and the other thing we found out is that memorial is very very soundproof because when we left it and we turned the corner there's like just thousands of uh, chinese people walking up and down and just like yelling and chanting And they're just, um, they're just sort of like cars everywhere. And some of them are police cars. And we're sort of like, we have to kind of get back to the entrance of this Memorial hall. So we're sort of walking through this crowd and everybody's uh, chanting and we have no idea what's going on. Um, Thankfully, a, Uh, a college student my my uncle got a college student who knew english and he's like oh yeah no this is a protest um against the government of japan um for these disputes of these islands and stuff and uh, the other funny thing is there were just cops everywhere but the interesting thing about china is um i guess at the time you know it's you know what was it uh Man, you're gonna to have to edit this because I'm making a lot of. Uh...
0: No, 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 no. You're fine. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you said the cops. How were they reacting to people?
5: Well, it was funny because whenever they saw us, uh, you know, these bunch of Americans, um, hmm. they just had the biggest smiles on their face because they knew, like, oh, here's just a bunch of tourists who don't know what the hell's <laughs> going on. Um, and yeah, literally every time you know we passed by some cops, and they were fine, you know, because no one's really breaking anything um and i guess what what uh eventually happened was um i think in beijing a honda dealership um was uh vandalized the windows were broken some cars were broken and uh for like the and i think even in nanjing there were some protests again in front of like uh, japanese auto dealers and and for the rest of the trip uh whenever we passed like anything that had like a japanese product like you know um like a honda store um the owners would put like tarps over the uh logos and everything oh, to kind wow. of so um but uh yeah no it it was just crazy cuz they you know well I, I it was crazy but it was more just surreal uh cuz in a weird way i never felt in danger mm. um because everybody was just sort of it was just a protest, um, and like I said, uh, I guess one or two car dealerships were hit, but that was about it. Um, and my uncle just had the smart idea of like, okay, well, let's just try to get out of the area. So we just walked a couple of blocks away um, from the protest, hailed a cab, and just went back to the um, went to the went back to the uh, hotel and stuff. So,
0: so it sounds like the protesters were less involved with uh, like authority, but more involved with protesting the Japanese uh, products.
5: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it was. And I guess that's the thing, you know, since, uh, well, I don't know, you know, there's not really, you know, Japanese people. Well, Ah, you might have to edit that. Damn, that's I kind of butchered that. Yeah. But yeah, what you said, I should have just said yes (laughs) to your question. So.
0: So you said that you'd never felt in danger, but Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure when you first turned that corner, when you first heard everything, it had to be alarming. What was, what were the first thoughts that went through your head when you saw this?
5: Um, honestly, it was a a long enough ago that, um, you know, I think we knew, uh, that, um, the tensions were rising a bit, um, between Mm -hmm. China and Japan, that these kind of things would happen. Uh, I guess it was just, it was such a flash mob because when we entered the Memorial Hall, like an hour earlier, there was no one in front of the thing, you know? Uh, And then when we exited, it's like, here's this massive crowd. Um, And, and yeah. And then there, you know, there was a police, police were all over the place right there. And and it was interesting because some of these cops were um, by cars that were clearly marked, uh, police vehicles, but then there were a couple of like buses and stuff and private, and we saw like one private car pull up and a bunch of policemen just came out of it. Um, uh, because I think, um, how do I put it? At least, uh, the, the police of Nanjing and even, I think some of the other major cities of China don't have like, um, uniforms Mm. provided for them you have to buy them yourselves because i remember we drove by uh because i was asking my sister-in-law about that and she's like oh yeah you know if you're a cop you know you kind of have to buy your own equipment depending on you know what precinct you're at at some uh in what city and we actually passed a shop at one point that was like a, a a police outfitters shop i mean you have to show up and show the proper mm-hmm. you know papers mm-hmm. and stuff like that but that was just kind of weird you know especially coming from america where it's like well everything's so uniform and whatnot mm-hmm. with our our uh police force and stuff so but
0: you mentioned that it just happened like a flash mob were there was there any kind of foresight that went on before this like did anyone tell you what was happening uh politically
5: um, no, no, again, we knew, we knew about the island dispute, mm. uh, but, but we just, I mean, I guess we were naive and, and it was even interesting because, um, uh, some of our, um, cab drivers, uh, you know, when my sister-in-law would translate, um, like I said, some of the really big demonstrations were in Beijing, but we mm. were, you know, we were in Beijing a couple days later. And by the time we got to Beijing, you know, all that stuff had pretty much um stopped uh you know. But I mean, uh
0: I think there's a lot of correlation uh with this mindset going around the country, not only right now, but I mean for a long time. I mean, Hong Kong's been on protest for over a year now. Right. And uh we've you know here I, I'm in Illinois or outside of Chicago
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh we Chicago got hit really hard last night with the protests
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, today is uh, May 30. Oh, sorry. June 1st. 1st wow. Yeah. Wow. You see police interaction with some of the protests around the world. You, you, you see a, uh, a force, uh, mm-hmm. some, some kind of a force back. Uh, how are the police dealing with the protesters that you saw dealing with the, um the, the Japanese retail almost? Yeah.
5: Um. I, you know, I think, you know there was a large area in front of the memorial hall where everybody was kind of situated and yeah the police were just sort of on the edges of said protest and um i mean no none of the i guess to kind of clarify none of the police were wearing riot gear or anything like that they were oh, all okay just, yeah they were just you know normal um uh, but there was just a lot of them. Um, like, you know, a couple of hundred or, you know, so. Um, but again, I think kind of what you're saying uh before, um, which I didn't take into consideration, is you know, since they're protesting something that's not even in the country per se, mm. you know, I guess that's why I felt safe because it's like, well, they're, you know, they're because they're pro- protesting a foreign country, they're not going to destroy their own shops and whatnot. Cause they don't feel that it's their system of government, that it's their society. That's the problem. It's this, mm-hmm. you know, foreign country. And again, like I said, you know, um, you know, a car dealership was, uh, vandalized in the capital. but, um, yeah, no, it was just, uh, yeah, it was just a protest. I, I, like I said, the, the, just the funny thing about it was realizing how these people wanted to demonstrate. And I, like I said, the, the first thing we had no idea what was going on. We just knew people were protesting, people had signs and we just sort of stumbled into it. So.
0: One of the things that really kind of interests me of that, that you had said was the police noticed you and just kind of smiled at you like, Oh, look at these tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, was there inter- any kind of interaction between you and the police or you and any of the protesters like did my fear is uh while 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 you're talking about this mm-hmm. it's almost like a fear of foreign nationalities as a whole oh so while, sure while the japanese fear was there in the the uprising against it mm-hmm. um was there any kind of animosity toward you as a foreigner of china as a total
5: um i guess uh no, I didn't really feel it. Like I said, you know, my, my uncle was able to find a guy in the crowd um, who who spoke English, who kind of explained everything, you know, to us. And, and I guess it was just very clear that, you know, we were just a bunch of tourists because we were probably the only, you know, white people in that, you know, in that crowd. And we weren't trying to like I guess we were just sort of trying to be on the outskirts mm, of said okay. crowd, which is why I was able to see all the cops and stuff, you know? So, and them just smiling. I mean, that's me kind of making the assumptions. Um, right. Because, you know, just probably the, the the fact that we didn't have any sort of, you know, armbands or uh, uh, posters like the protesters had. Um, I, I Again, it's like we were clearly just... At least for me, I feel we were just clearly tourists. It's a tourist spot. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I was kind of like my uncle. It's like, well, let's just try to get out of the area. Um, but I guess I just didn't feel in danger. So I don't know if that's just a naivete on my part. Um, we never had anybody get up in our face or anything. So,
0: Do you remember what the um, the armbands and the posters said?
5: Uh, I don't remember, but I'm sure a lot of it was, you know, how the Senkaku Islands belong to China or, mm-hmm. you know, Chinese solidarity or, you know, uh, I, I mean, the fact that, it, you know, it, it's almost naivete on uh, the part of, you know, me and my family where it's like, okay, we're at a memorial that's about You know japanese invaders from world war ii um killing a bunch of chinese citizens so it's like well of course this is like the perfect spot to have a protest against japan you know so um yeah
0: so thinking back on this while you were uh watching or or learning about all the protests happening around america right now Mm -hmm. uh what did it make you feel what did it make you think
5: um, uh, you mean in regards to the, the protests that we stumbled in
0: or how you feel in general, but, um, you got to live through in a oh. pro- protest. I think many Americans probably don't.
5: Uh, I guess, um, it was, uh, it was just interesting. Well, you know, in, in a way it was interesting cause, um, one of our, uh, we, we, we would hire like a, a bus driver or well, we, we had uh, hired a van, uh, to drive us all around cause we were sort of a large group. Um, And my sister-in-law was awesome and uh, really kind of planned a tour of the country for us. Um, And when we were in Nanjing, uh, I just remember her translating our van driver kind of telling us like, oh, yeah, you know, of course, they're going to have... all the you know really really kind of intense protests uh in the capital of beijing he's like yeah you know nanjing we're just a little more removed we're a little more laid back he said or at least you know that's how my sister-in-law uh translated it so that might be why it was just okay yeah you had a bunch of people demonstrate shout slogans make posters show their show their disapproval and that's all that really came of it you know um so
0: So you mentioned something earlier before we actually started recording. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the hardest hit areas in Illinois, besides Chicago, was Aurora. Mm -hmm. And uh, Aurora saw its fair share. It saw a few police cars uh, lit up and destroyed and a bunch of storefronts. Um, But on a positive note – What were you telling me before the show started?
5: So, um, a bunch of fellow Aurorans, uh, got up this morning and just went downtown, um, with like garbage bags and brooms and whatnot, and, uh, just started, uh, sweeping up glass and, uh, just trying to pick up garbage and, and stuff like that, uh, You know, so and again, um, part of it was the listening to the news radio and also them saying, yeah, you know, it it was it was kind of crazy. But I guess, you know, there are these small groups of people doing it. You know, it's not like a massive um, Mm. majority or anything like that. So I don't know. I, you know, as we're recording this, I think not everything's been figured out just yet. You know, so I don't really want to, you know make a comment on stuff until we get all the information. So uh, I just um, I guess I'm I'm optimistic that once again, we're going to find out um, the very violent acts are being perpetrated by small groups of people, whereas, you know, the protests and people just, you know, wanting to respect both sides. um, That's that's just uh, the majority, you know, so fingers crossed of course so
0: John thank you so much for telling us your story and for being on this today
5: oh well, you know I, I kind of butchered it so I hope you can edit it down so
0: <laughs> not at all I loved your story thank right. you so much
5: all right cool mm-hmm. um,
0: Right. As I'm sure we all are doing right now, scrolling through our social media feeds, checking Reddit, any kind of news feed you have, and looking at images on Facebook and the like, we are seeing picture after picture, video after video of the aftermath of the looting and the chaos that has ensued. I stopped on one set of photos that literally took my breath away. I was honored and happy to find out that I knew the photographer.
3: Yeah, um, my name is Daniel. Uh, well, let's try that. Again.
0: I reached out to the photographer and was happy to hear that he would be a part of this episode. Our final guest of this episode is Daniel, a photographer who ventured out into the streets of Chicago and took the most haunting photos of the aftermath I've seen yet. Be sure you head on over to behindeverystory.com and click on the link in the show notes to see his gallery. We will also be posting this gallery in our Facebook feed. Here is Daniel's interview. My name is Daniel. I've
3: lived in Chicago for the past 11 years now, and I'm a part-time photographer.
0: Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you for Uh, that. You have quite a story. You um, were in downtown Chicago yesterday for the riots. Yeah,
3: I, um, I live in downtown as well. Um, so it was it was pretty close to home. I'm, I'm lucky to say that uh, we, I wasn't directly affected by any of the uh, more of the violent um, hmm. spree that, that happened. But I did go out the next day, uh, Saturday morning to document and uh, take some photos of the
0: aftermath, if you will. So why did you decide to go?
3: You know, overall, I think you know, with a lot of us being at home, uh, the most we could do is kind of remote channel in to see what was happening in our world. Um, you know, this is a this is a time right now where I think a lot of people are sensitive in general. You know, because of quarantine, we've all been stuck in our homes for several uh, several weeks, many months, and uh, for the ones that were able to get out and and join the march, you know, I think that was really great for them. I know a lot of other people uh, did want to join, including myself, and um, I just couldn't risk it at this time uh, with the concerns of coronavirus and, you know, we're just at at the brink of this ending. So I really wanted to play my part to be safe. But I had seen so much on the news of what was going on and um, initially, you know, with the with the peaceful protests, it was going really well. And I was very proud of our community and our people uh, being out there. And, and once it started going another way with uh, some of the other groups that were uh, taking it a different direction with more of the violent uh, outbursts and, and um, protest on the protesting side and, and looting and whatnot, I wanted to kind of see for myself outside of just the media portraying it the way it was. So uh, thought it would be a good time to go out early that Saturday morning to just kind of survey the land, if you will.
0: So you were out there taking photos, really documenting history by doing this. And your photos really took me off guard. Um, I think like anyone right now, we're all scavenging the internet trying to f- see what's happening. Um, but your photos really resonated with me. What engaged you to, to take the moments that you did shoot? You
3: know, honestly, as you are saying that, I, I have to kind of parallel path you and say that the exact same kind of emotional response happened with me. Um, I, I didn't exactly know what to expect when I went out there. And as I just kind of, I mean, the first few steps out of my place, I immediately saw a lot of the graffiti that was on the wall and a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, some blatantly charged words uh, all over the walls and, and and property you know walls and uh, of different buildings uh, and as I further uh, walked further into Michigan avenue that's when it really started hitting home that you you see that there's clearly an issue that people are, are are taking the reaction is almost as if we've been poisoned and and you can see the remnants you know leftover signs the trash the broken glass all over the ground and you start to as you're walking through, it's like you're walking in their shoes, you know? And, uh, you know, as you said, I didn't, I had no intention of going out there and saying, I'm going to document history today. Mm. I just went out to see, I thought I'd bring my camera with me. And when I, as I started, you know, taking these frames, I realized, good Lord, like this is our, this is our part of our life. This is forever embedded in our culture and our history. And, you know, honestly, it was an emotional roller coaster for me because as I went further, kind of into the jungle, if you will, it just got worse. And I mean, some of the images um, that you'll see, it, it it's, it's, it—you take, you get struck back for sure. Um, it wasn't something that I was exactly prepared for at that level of, uh, destruction and kind of chaos that from the aftermath that you could see, but it definitely just tells a story of the emotional toll that everyone is going through right now.
0: What do you think is the emotional toll that's happening right now? What based on the visuals that not only you saw, but that you are taking in? Absolutely. And I, you
3: know, that's, I think that's a great question. And, you know, depending on who you ask, that answer could, could fluctuate from mm-hmm. it my thing is from what i see and what uh, i I was trying to convey as i started taking more and more photos is i just wanted to show that the world right now is in pain our society is in pain there are so many unanswered questions there's you know I absolutely, you know, to take a step back, I absolutely feel for uh, George Floyd, in addition to many other victims of unjust police brutality, uh, you know, victims in general. um, It's not right. It sickened me to even watch the video. I could barely get through it without being angered myself. Um, But this is this is just a small example of the overall just kind of toll that's been taken, uh, you know, in our communities, in our societies, especially our Black communities. That you know, there's only so much that um, I can do. You know, uh, not I'm not I'm not Black, and I could only um, imagine what it's like that people are going through. And again, it, it manifested itself with people again being stuck at home for several months. And then this happened, and the timing couldn't be any worse, um, for something like this to happen. So I think as, as I started to kind of go through all these photos and, and walk through the, the, the area, I, you just, you just feel, you feel that burning, uh, pain that just kind of resonates throughout every photo that I went through.
0: While you're looking around, taking these photos of the aftermath, what aspects moved you to engage with something and to create a photograph of that moment.
3: Yeah. I, you know, at the time that I was uh, doing it in person, it was the little things that nobody will ever see as they're going through kind of looking at some of these photos is the time in between each shot. You know, after I frame something up and the click goes off, it's that moment that I put the camera down again. I look at it with my own eyes and I'm just going, What what happened here? Mm. And I can't capture everything, you know, in that frame, but I looked around me and you know, in a in a 180, it's all those little details of of the broken shards of glass that, you know, it's not just near the windowsill that you see in the picture. It was around my feet when and I was still 14, 15 feet away from the, from the window, it's, it's the drawers of, uh, cash registers that were sitting out in, you know, outside in the, in the uh, sidewalk. Um, you know, you start thinking, how did that get all the way here? Mannequin parts that are thrown out everywhere. Um, it's those little things, I think behind the scenes that I just, I'll, I'll never really be able to tell that story and convey that into words, um, without, you know, you'd, you'd have to be there kind of moment. And, Um, I think it's those that I actually like to focus on more because it was something that was truly in the moment outside of being, you know, being at the protest or the march itself. That that's something that, um, it's very hard to explain. And I can only be able to, uh, tell in words that I hope, you know, conveys the same feeling I felt while I was taking those photos. Uh,
0: what photo do you think says what you want to say the most? Like if you had to pick one photo, to encapsulate this moment, to encapsulate the emotions, which one would it be, and why? That's a that's a tough question. I actually, when I was
3: going through to post, I didn't know which one would be the uh, the standout, if you will.
4: Mm-hmm. In
3: your opinion, actually, which one got you the most?
0: So, to me, there were a few. The "Burn the System" one, like yeah, the very first one that posted it, it, it. it. Mm-hmm. like of course my eyes go to the linear aspects of the lines and the leading lines sure, and the shadows sure. and things like that but it's the complete disregard of the moment that people would just destroy so much of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was, um, and
3: that's why i kind of had the first like that kind of mm-hmm. tone of like okay now we know what people think now what happens when those thoughts turn to action kind of thing you know
0: yeah right and uh the The, the, the one that kind of shocked me the most, Mm -hmm. the picture with the mannequin, the armless mannequin. Oh, the, uh, in front of the window, like lying down down on the window. Yeah. I didn't set that up. That was just there. And I was like, Oh, this
3: is kind of perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It just, it feels like, I mean, aftermath is the wrong word, but that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, it, the mannequins on the ground
3: almost told the story of like, yikes you know yeah it it put it put a human aspect to it
0: very much so
3: yeah if i had to pick one i i I would have to say it was the the graffiti Uh, i think just because you're you're actually seeing some of the messaging behind Mm. that that again that 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 manifested negativity or or the the breaking point and it's all just being spewed out in the moment, again, without any regard to where this is being put on. Um, I just, this, you know, I took a I took a photo of a portion of the wall. I mean, this goes on, it goes on uh, for a while. And um, what it doesn't show, again, in between the frames was the maintenance staff cleaning uh, the beginning side of the wall uh, with, you know, you know with, Elbow grease and a power washer, and it just wasn't coming off. And I, I tried to be a little respectful and give them some space, actually, because it looked like a pretty sensitive time for them, too. Um, but, you know, I understand that when I look at this photo again, I I understand this does not represent everyone who protested and marched. I, I have to understand that. I know that. And yeah. I know it's not a good example of what it represents, uh, people as a whole, uh, especially people for, for George Floyd in, in this particular, um, scenario, but it was just something that you couldn't take your eyes off of it. Again, this is, this is an area that a lot of people walk past every day. You know, it's, a, it's a work commute area and that's a, it's clean as a whistle, you know, with the clean marble slab and everything. And you just see all of this, all of this graffiti and and the violent messaging and some of the words of hate and it, It's hard not to just, you know, have your jaws drop and just be like, I need to take a minute right now.
0: You know, I do, I think that's what, that's exactly how I feel when I'm looking at your photos is it's each photo I need to take a breath on. Mm -hmm. Cause not only am am I aware that this is happening, but it's, it's haunting. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're capturing these giant emotions in this quick space and time. It just shakes me. Mm-hmm. Um, to other photographers, uh, do you have any advice, especially during this time, that you would give to someone else going out to take photos of this?
3: Sure. I think I think there's still a sense of um, respect that we also need to give to to one another and even even the lay of the land, if you will. Um, i had to remind myself that uh, some of these shots that i was taking you know people have been waiting a very long time to get back to work and all of a sudden a lot of them are waking up that that morning saying i'm not going to be going back to work for a while now even longer than i thought and again i'm i'm not looking at this from you know oh some of the photos you you obviously can see they're high end retail or giant corporations. That for me that's not the point. For me it's it's the people that have already been waiting. You know I think a lot of us have close friends or someone we know that works in these very you know these very stores or very similar retail scenarios, and they've just been ransacked and they've already been suffering for months, like all of us have. Uh, waiting to go back to work and now this happens on top of that like this is that's kind of what i was taking in and as i was shooting around i even though even though the place is just destroyed it's almost like every step that you took around the glass, broken glass, around a fallen wall or desk or the mannequins, you kind of paid respect and you just didn't want to disturb anything. Um, you, you, you kind of watch every step that you make. And also at the same time, um, there, were, there were a lot of people almost uh, walking around, you know, doing the same thing, taking photos of the aftermath. And um, unfortunately, I found uh, one gentleman in particular who walked into um, the Levi's, store that was completely decimated completely decimated and he didn't come out for a while so i eventually followed and walked in and of of course i saw him perusing through um all of the uh product in there and i i had to say something at that point where i know i know the store is decimated but i said i don't know what you think you're doing in here but you're going to have to leave you know and this is just again out of due respect we're, we're not animals and we, we, we can do better. I know the store was destroyed. I know everyone else who that went in there took some stuff and it's like, what's one more going to hurt? But I said,
0: we have to have some sort of respect for
3: one another, you know,
0: so respect for ourselves. I think you bring up a really good point about you don't understand what's actually the, the emotional construct of everything without being there. But I really want to convey how important it is that you did this because you are being there for millions of other people. So, uh, truly thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to go out and do this.
3: Of course. And, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, you having the open mind to also look through it and seeing things from many different perspectives. Again, you, you know, even we're, we're in a, we're in a very sensitive time that even I posted, you know, those photos this morning, and i knew i knew deep down that there's going to be someone at least someone who will take offense because you you know it, it, you have to be careful with your words and you know i even even some of my own uh, close friends came back with some comments that as if as if i had uh, portrayed or said something in in the wrong way and all i wanted to convey was that I, i'm hurt I feel hurt for so many different things. Um, and it's hard to it's it's hard to say the right things. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I don't know how to, uh, I don't know what the perfect solution is. And I don't know, I don't know how I can personally help, directly help, uh, you know, move the cause for justice uh, swifter. You know, I, I'll do whatever it takes within my power. And it is one of those things I just want people to know that, the, the the pictures you're seeing again. Remember, as you know, Jason and I are photographers and videographers. There's so much more happening outside the frame, in between each shot that you don't know about. We're we're just trying to tell and showcase a small portion of the story to give you something, um, since you couldn't be there. And again, I, all I wanted to do was show a little. Uh, just show a little insight into what was happening. Um, otherwise, there's so much more to be said, obviously. And and I hope that one day we can live in a in a world where, especially in very sensitive times in our society, from you know personal political um, perspectives, that we can sit down and have conversation and and open dialogue. I think that's so important for all of us to remember and consider that without having conversation we won't find a resolution um you know you you can you can you can yell all you want and and converse amongst the people that you feel aligned with but we have to somehow find a way to talk to both sides we have to find a resolution together um because we won't last too long if, if the violence like this and outbursts continue
0: daniel thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. This has been amazing, thank
3: you. Yes, of course, thank you for having me and uh, you know, stay safe out there.
0: Stories make us feel a little more connected to the world. Like no matter what's happening in your life or what you're going through, no, you're not alone. We're all in this big story called life together. Now more than ever. Do you have a story about the protests? Do, Did you participate? Do you know someone who did? We would love to hear your story. Send us a voicemail clip or an email to behindeverystory at gmail.com. We would love to share it on a future episode. And thank you so much for joining us here on Behind Every Story. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast streaming app or recommend us to your friends and family. But please make sure you head on over to iTunes and rate us those five stars so that we get the chance to get in front of other people so that they can hear us and enjoy some stories. Be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook at Behind Every Story Podcast to stay up to date on all the newest episodes. And like in this episode, some links to some great stuff. You get to watch... Daniel's amazing photos come to life. Also, you can always find us on BehindEveryStory.com Great storytellers make the world a smaller, more intimate place. Thank you to all the storytellers out there, big and small. And thank you to our guests this week, Matthew, John, and Daniel. I've been your storyteller Jason Osterkamp, and it's been a pleasure sitting around the campfire with you. Join us again next time on Behind Every Story. I'd like to end today's episode with the words from Run the Jewels frontman, Killer Mike, in his address to the city of Atlanta. Until next time, stay safe and be open to the dialogue to hear the story happening at your doorstep.
2: I'm to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize. So my question for us on the other side of this camera is after it burns, will we be left with charred or will we rise like a phoenix out of the ashes that Atlanta has always done? Will we use this as a moment to say that we will not do what other cities have done and in fact we will get better than we've been. I can tell you is that if you sit in your homes tonight, instead of burning your home to the ground, you will have time to properly plot, plan, strategize and organize and mobilize in an effective way. And two of the most effective ways is first taking your butt to the computer and making sure you fill out your senses so that people know who you are and where you are. The next thing is making sure you exercise your political bully power and going to local elections and beating up the politicians that you don't like. You got a prosecutor sent your partner to jail and you know it was bull****. Put a new prosecutor in there. Now's your election to do it. You want a different senator that's more progressive, that broke marijuana through? Now's the time to do that. But it is not time to burn down your own home.